Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Waiting is hard. In today's world of instant gratification, of fast food, express service, speed dating, instant credit, immediate and online banking, having to wait feels a lot like doing nothing, like a waste of our time. In our on-demand Amazon Prime society where everything happens at the push of a button, we've come to believe we shouldn't have to wait anymore. We shouldn't have to wait anymore for the good things in life. And yet, try as we may, as increasingly impatient as we're becoming, waiting is a part of life. In one sense, all of life is one long wait, waiting to grow up, waiting to leave home, waiting to finish school, if we're so inclined, waiting to get married, then waiting to have children, waiting for those children to grow up and get out of our house, (laughs) waiting for our first job, waiting to find our career, waiting to be successful, waiting until we can retire, waiting to feel better again, waiting until it's all over and we leave this life for the next one. Even in the smaller moments of our day-to-day lives, we find ourselves going through seasons, days, hours of waiting. Waiting for a call, waiting for a pause or break in the action, waiting for our next meal, waiting for the weekend, or waiting for our next vacation. And of course, always at this time of year, we're waiting for Christmas, waiting for gifts to be delivered, waiting for guests or loved ones to arrive, waiting to be able to go home for the holidays, waiting to see what's wrapped underneath the tree with our name on it. Waiting was very much a part of the first Christmas too. The coming of the promised Messiah, the savior of Israel and by extension the world, was an exercise in waiting for generations upon generations of faithful believers. Being no less inclined to wait than we are, and yet like us, finding themselves with no other choice but to wait, all our spiritual ancestors could do was hold on Hold on to the threads of a promise that now and then were repeated through words of prophecy amid the otherwise yawning spaces of uncomfortable divine silence. Waiting is hard. Sometimes when all we have is waiting upon waiting, we can wonder. We might start to worry if all our waiting is in vain, if what we end up with, where we find ourselves on the other side of all that time, it doesn't live up to the hype, especially at this time of year, right? But as the Apostle Paul is about to make clear to us through this excerpt from his letter to the Galatians, we need not have any doubts that Christmas is always worth the wait. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It reads, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery, under the dominion, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time, the set time, had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. 
And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That we can't hardly wait for Christmas to come each year, that we lack patience in allowing December 25th to arrive on its own, is witnessed in the growing trend of people who start decorating their homes, listening to Christmas music, and even beginning to celebrate before the Thanksgiving holiday has come and gone. But imagine having to wait for Christmas for a much longer period than four weeks or a couple of months. What if, instead of counting down the days or weeks, we had to count down by centuries or several thousand years? Because this was the sort of timeline those who waited for the first Christmas to arrive had to occupy. Let's briefly mark all that time that had to pass before a baby was born in Bethlehem. After an indeterminate number of years from the creation of the world, the ball started rolling as God initiated a relationship with a Middle Eastern nomad named Abram. God eventually changed Abram's name to Abraham as the Lord chose Abraham and his descendants to be the seedbed for a promise planted way back in the garden in a garden called Eden. The first promise of Christmas, of Christmas is coming through the arrival of a future heir of humanity's salvation. Now after that, for the next 600 or so years, not much seemingly happened to move the arrival of the first Christmas any closer. The children of Abraham were many, but they were also messy. Through their relationships with each other, let alone with outsiders to their family, they were hardly a blessing. In fact, after generations upon generations of Abraham's descendants multiplied in Egypt, they came to be viewed as a threat to Pharaoh and thus became an enslaved people for a long, long time. It wasn't until four centuries later that a man named Moses, a formerly adopted son of Pharaoh who later tried to run as far away as he could from Egypt, only to end up right back in the last place he wanted to be, as Moses became God's chosen deliverer for guiding the children of Abraham, his brothers and sisters, out of slavery, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. Near the end of Moses' days, his tenure, the Lord spoke through him and repeated the promise of Christmas's coming, the future arrival of someone even greater than Moses to lead the people not just into a new land, but into a new life, the life that God had always intended for his creation. Through the years after Moses, God raised up many judges, priests, prophets, even kings, but none proved to be the one whose coming had been foretold. And so the waiting continued. As centuries upon centuries passed, centuries upon centuries of greed and gluttony, violence and oppression, and all along the way, war, continuous attacks waged by rival empires, attacks that exposed the deeper battle and fault lines within, within the country, within the people who had become Israel, until the nation finally split in two. And then later, the divided nation of the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel both fell into exile and face the threat of possible extinction as a people. During these dark days, as everyone began to lose hope, God raised up again prophets, prophets like Isaiah, who continually reminded the children of Abraham and Moses of his promise of redemption, of the one who had yet to arrive, but would, when he came, make all things right and new, the one who became known, the one who began to be called the Messiah. A long, long winter of God's prolonged silence soon followed. As the land and people of Israel traded hands between global superpowers until they finally ended up under the thumb of the rule of Rome, the people, with only the lingering memory of that divine pledge to hold on to, the people continued to wait because waiting was all they could do. And then, 
Finally, one unexpected day, much, much, much later, an angel named Gabriel first paid a visit to an aging priest named Zachariah in the temple, and then to a young betrothed but yet unmarried girl named Mary in her home, and in both conversations declared God's covenant with the people was about to be fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you, but that sure seems like quite a bit of calendar space between God's giving of his promise and its eventual fulfillment. It certainly amounts to a lot more waiting than nine months of a pregnancy, which typically marks how we tell the Christmas story. And yet, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he underscores, while it may have seemed like a long time in coming, the birth of Jesus arrived exactly when it was intended to. Paul writes, when the set time had finally come, or as some other translations read, in the fullness of time. In other words, what we celebrate this season of the year wasn't some random, spontaneous realization of what God had promised. No, the dawn of what we know as Christmas happened right on time, exactly when our Creator intended for it to occur. Which, of course, also means, while the people spent all that time waiting, while they probably occasionally felt like nothing was happening, God was working behind the scenes. Even though the people couldn't see it, and even when the Lord was, for long stretches, silent, God nonetheless remained on the move, laboring in and through the real choices humanity was exercising, along with the typically bad consequences that soon followed. God was laboring to orchestrate the fulfillment of what he had always promised. Paul's emphasis on the fullness of time further suggests, prior to Christmas happening, the world was not yet ready. We, as humankind, were not ready for Christ to be born. Therefore, looking back in hindsight, what can we perceive about how the Lord was working to prepare the world, to prepare us for the very first Christmas, for the coming of our salvation? Well, to begin with, in our rebellion, in our choosing to go our own way, away from our Creator, we needed time. We needed time to discover and learn how to be, well, human again. Human in the sense of how we were originally created to be, rather than the broken and flawed humanity we choose to settle for as we keep trying to do everything on our own apart from God. This is, in fact, the crux of Paul's argument to the Galatians leading up to today's passage. In chapter 3 of this letter, Paul declares God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, our Creator's top ten instructions for living, to simultaneously reveal the way life was meant to be, but also, in so doing, to reveal how far short we fall from living life that way, the way it's supposed to be. As we mentioned last Sunday, God's top ten, on the other hand, inspires us to aim higher in living our best life rather than to settle for less, less for than for which we were created. But at the same time, God's top ten humbles us. It brings us down to earth in realizing we can't live our best life, life the way it was intended to be, apart from our Creator. Paul's argument is we first received the law, God's top ten, not in order to prove ourselves or make things right through what we can do for God. No, the law, God's top ten, convicts us in our need for divine intervention, for what only our Creator can do for us. And in so doing, the law enables us to recognize the one who comes to be our Savior, our true Messiah, that the world's one true Messiah can only be God come down in the flesh that our one true Messiah can only be Jesus Christ, the one who is perfect, perfect both in not breaking the law, but also in fulfilling the law completely, in reflecting the character through his words and deeds of what it means, of what it looks like to be human. Again, human, not as we settle for us, but as God created us to be. 
But we can also see the fingerprints of the Creator's preparation for Christmas far beyond the law's re-education of the nature and character of our humanity. Looking back, we can't help but notice God also working through the cultural and technical conditions of human history to lay the best foundation for the news and message of Christmas to be spread far and wide. Consider, prior to the rise of the Roman Empire, the Greeks had unified the known world culturally, specifically instituting a central language that could be spoken throughout its dominion. Created as a means of globalizing trade, the formation of this common language made it possible for different tribes of people to communicate with each other. Later, when the Romans came to power, they further unified an expanding world by constructing roads, roads that connected various lands to one another. These highways that lined the Roman Empire, so well built, by the way, that some of them still exist today, these highways enabled a freedom of commerce and travel at a rate and a distance that previously had been impossible. So having a language that enabled the known world to hear a message and a growing network of roads that made traveling long distances and sharing that message possible, the historical and cultural stage was set for the coming of the first Christmas, for the good news, the gospel. Now, looking back, as all creation held its breath all that time with great expectation, and as humanity prayed all that time and cried out, how long, O Lord, how long, for what seemed like forever? The unspoken question is, was it all worth it? Is Christmas worth the wait? And the Apostle Paul emphatically provides us with the answer as he carefully outlines exactly what we receive at Christmas time. Now, of course, to appreciate what we are given on that first Christmas, we need to fully understand what we have first lost, what we gave up when humanity, humankind, turned its back on its creator. We've all likely heard the expression, you can pick your friends, but you are stuck with your family. Without our say, without picking and choosing our parents or our relatives, we are born into our families. And while we may refuse to acknowledge our family or even deny where we come from, we cannot alter our DNA. And this truth applies not only to our immediate family, but also to our extended family. And by extended family, I mean we are all born, we are all part, whether we like it or not, of the family of the human race. And part of what the Bible wants us to understand, something that we can see even if we go beyond the pages of Scripture, is that the human race is a dysfunctional family. Sure, while we exhibit flashes and moments of positive potential now and then, overall our history is one of hurting ourselves and hurting each other. In fact, in the next chapter of this letter, chapter 5, Paul describes our default family dynamic as human beings apart from God. Debauchery, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and so on. Beloved, we are and we remain a dysfunctional family because, as Paul writes, even though we were created to be heirs, children of God, we, through our rejection and disobedience, have orphaned ourselves from our Heavenly Father. We have exchanged the freedom of belonging for the slavery of being bound from serving what Paul calls the elemental spiritual forces of the world. In other words, our self-imposed enslavement comes from worshiping what is created rather than our Creator. It comes from trying to find and secure our identity, our sense of purpose, our destiny through what we create, what we earn, what we accomplish, what we achieve, even though none of that can bear the weight of eternity. That all of it crumbles into oblivion once we die. And so instead of maturing in our humanity and inheriting the freedom that comes from everlasting life for which we were made, we remain stunted in our growth 
childishly enslaved to the pursuit of doing enough, of having enough, of being enough, but never quite being able to close that loop. It's into this vicious cycle, this vicious cycle of every man or woman for themselves, in desperately seeking to justify our existence, to prove our worth, to secure some sense, any sense of permanence, by comparing ourselves with each other, even as we believe we have no choice but to compete against each other, and thus constantly living in fear and insecurity that we mask through arrogant pride or false humility. It's into this vicious cycle that we know all too well that our Creator lays the groundwork of our redemption. God keeps maneuvering around the chaos that erupts from our continued willful disobedience until finally all is ready and our Heavenly Father paves the road for us to come back home. Beloved, we can't choose our family and we belong to the family of God and God refuses to let us go. Even though we may not choose God, God chooses us. God comes for us. Our Creator, our God, our Heavenly Father offers us a way to come back into the family by coming down to us, by running to where we are, by becoming the way, the truth, and the life we need in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ. And as Paul continues to unwrap what we have received, notice he moves all the way from Christmas, the birth of Christ, to our birth in Christ through the day of Pentecost. When our adoption back into the family we had once forsaken was made complete as we were given the ultimate manifestation of the gift of Christmas. Even more than the Word made flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, taking up residence in our flesh. Truly Emmanuel, God with us, for us, and now in us. The same Spirit by which Mary birthed Jesus into this world is given to us to birth our new life, our true family in Christ. A life and a family no longer broken by dysfunction, fear, and slavery because of sin, evil, and death, but an everlasting life and a forever family rising up in freedom and reaching out in faith, hope, and love. Beloved, should we ever wonder if Christmas is worth the wait? The answer is always a resounding yes. One of the most moving and powerful takeaways from our annual celebration of Christmas is, the, is this that the truth and the encouragement that while we were waiting, God is working. God is never sitting on his hands and simply taking his time to accomplish what he promises. No, just as he did in bringing about the first Christmas, our Heavenly Father continues to tirelessly labor, constantly work through, work through and sometimes even work around the mistakes we make, the foolish choices, even our willful disobedience. Listen to the way Paul talks about God's initiative and exertion on our behalf. It wasn't that we were doing such a great job moving ourselves forward. It wasn't that we cleaned ourselves up and made ourselves ready, that we were finally good enough, that we at last had our act together so that now our salvation became possible and the Messiah could come. No, Christmas is the witness of how God always makes the first move. And that move, while it can sometimes seem like a long time in coming, that move reflects not some knee-jerk, impulsive divine reaction. That move reflects a considerable, intentional, and gracious divine planning and preparation, again, for our sake. Not because our Creator is too busy or running a little bit late, but because we're not ready. Because we need more time. In the silence that often feels like God is doing nothing, God is in fact preparing us. Preparing us in ways we don't often appreciate until we look back. God is preparing us for what he is about to do for us, in us, and through us. If we survey the Bible, the story of the Bible, this is God's calling card. God never just gives us answers. 
But God carefully prepares us. God intentionally leads and shapes us to be able to receive, to recognize, to appreciate, to internalize, and to live out of the answers we are given. Answers, again, that are often not what we asked for, not even what we wanted, but as we come to learn, answers that are exactly what we needed, what is best for us. And so the question isn't whether or not we're going to wait in life. The question is, how are we going to wait? Waiting is the universal human condition because, whether we admit it or not, our lives revolve around our Creator, around God's will, God's intentions and purposes for us, and not our own. And make no mistake, we're still waiting. Even though the kingdom of God is breaking into and beginning to change our world, even though the Son has come down to us and has been raised up from death to resurrection, even though we see the light of the world, the light the darkness cannot overcome, we can see it on the horizon, the dawn of a new creation is not yet complete. While, thanks to Jesus' first coming, there is forgiveness to receive, goodness to share, beauty to behold, and truth to claim, such blessings exist alongside the ongoing temptations and wounds of ego and pride, jealousy and envy, bitterness and wrath, rumors and lies. We remain in the transitional space between the very first Christmas, the birth of divine love, peace, and justice in this world, and the full maturity of these gifts that have yet to come until the last Christmas, when Christ shall return once and for all. And knowing God's timeline and trusting God's timeline are not the same thing. Contrary to the countless and continuing attempts of many prognosticators, we don't and we won't know the hour of the, or the day of Christ's return. All we can do, like our spiritual ancestors, is continue to wait. We're all waiting for God to give us something we need in Christ, something to be born anew in our lives through the Spirit of Christ within. Some of us are waiting for inspiration and direction. Others of us are waiting for some encouragement, some wisdom. There are those who are waiting for a little peace and rest. And there are many who are waiting for things to get better, for that things to be reconciled, for them to be healed. And waiting can be hard, especially when we wait with uncertainty, when we worry that if what we're waiting for will ever happen, if we wonder, if we, when we worry about that, we wonder if it's even worth waiting at all. And as those days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years and nothing appears to change for the better, it can be tempting to give in to disappointment rather than to keep looking for fulfillment. We can learn to settle for what we have rather than waiting for God in his timing, not ours, to provide something more. But the gospel, the good news of Christmas is that we do not wait without hope, without certainty. For the season of Advent serves to remind us, to reinforce that our waiting on the Lord is never in vain, that our Creator is working forever on our behalf, that our Heavenly Father always makes good on His promises to us, that we look to and worship the God of perfect timing. So in all our waiting, may our anticipation of the birth of Jesus center us, center us in trusting that the Lord is indeed with and for us. Through our life circumstances, though they may suggest otherwise, let us not give up waiting before the time is right. May the reality of God's coming down to us in Christ assure us that our Heavenly Father is working for our good, that the Lord will come through on schedule, fulfilling His promises for us all. Because this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.